Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Explored. Today we're going to explore quite a few interesting topics around learning to read with the Orton-Gillingham system. With me today is a mum who started college life in pre-med school, learning about being a paramedic, ended up with a bachelor in business and entrepreneurship, married a firefighter in the military, has moved around for many years each year from place to place with the military and has two children and homeschools both of them and in the process of the second child identified four years ago that she had dyslexia and that was the beginning of their discovery about dyslexia and she's gone with her bachelors and trained at the Orton Gillingham Academy and learned how to teach children to read with dyslexia ended up working in a school for dyslexia tutoring for four years and is now doing her own thing and and completing her master's in special education i'd like to introduce you to ash voisin ash it's great to have you here thank you so much for having me darius it's an honor it's going to be great to talk about Orton Gillingham in a little bit more depth. And I know we're going to talk about all sorts of things as well through this journey. We're both dyslexic. Uh, you've got ADD as well, and I've got some ADD too. So this podcast, as usual, will go all sorts of interesting places while still ending up with the Orton Gillingham reading. I, I'm, I'm personally fascinated by Orton Gillingham, and I've, I've never actually got into how to teach a child with dyslexia to read because I focus in on how to teach them to write essays and remember things for exams. So I'm really pleased to have you on the podcast. Before we get stuck into your kind of story and the questions and so on, could you give the listeners, because many of them have never heard of Orton Gillingham, you know, we've got listeners in the UK and we hardly ever hear about Orton Gillingham or anything like that. Barton or any, any kind of these more advanced reading programs and Australia is very similar as well. So could you tell us what Orton Gillingham is? Sure. So Orton Gillingham is, is named for two of the founders that found this approach. Samuel Tory Orton was a neuropsychiatrist and a pathologist taught at a medical school. And he started to study children that were bright, but had trouble reading in the 1920s. He hired Anna Gillingham. She was a very gifted teacher and psychiatrist with mastering language. She and Bessie Stillman introduced a systematic and orderly approach to teach the 70 letters and letter combinations that make up the 44 sounds. They then published the instructional materials and helped train teachers to help students with reading difficulties with the first Orton Gilliam, we also say OG manual called Remedial Training for Children with Specific Disability in Reading, Spelling, and Penmanship in 1935. And this is still remains the basis for the most prevalent remediation with children with dyslexia. So the name comes from two people that founded this and is basically considered like the gold standard. And it's taught uh, in a very specific way. So it's direct, explicit, multi-sensory, structured, sequential, diagnostic, and prescriptive. 
And all of that comes together in approach. So it's not a curriculum. It's not a method. It's not a system or a program. It is an approach. And from that approach, you have other people who have decided to try to make a curriculum from that. So you may hear of an Orton Gilliam or an OG curriculum, but they base it on the approach. And so I am trained in the approach. And the biggest thing with Orton Gilliam is it uh, does use a multi-sensory. The learning triangle is like, there's either triangle or square, depending on which you look at, but it's all the same. It includes auditory, kinesthetic, tactile, and visual. So teaching is done um, using all pathways of the brain to get all of the neurons firing to connect memory lane, essentially. Okay. And so, and I'm going to ask as a complete newbie, you know, I'm going to act like a complete new newbie. I know a bit about it, but I'm going to ask the most obvious questions. One of them is, so when I hear things like Barton, which mm-hmm. is, is, is that an Orton Gillingham based program? Right. So Wilson, Barton are ones that are very popular that yeah. base it on Orton Gilliam approach. So they have said, okay, this is how it's done. Follow this. It's really good if you know how to use those programs when trouble arises because every student's different. Okay. And, and that, that's, that's really the where the, yeah. And that's really where yeah. the tutors come in because one of the things I have learned, the one most important aspects of all of this is that we are trained to be creative, problem solvers, and flexible. So if a student's not getting something, one, we don't move on unless we think, okay, we're going to wait until they're a little bit more mature. We'll come back to it. Or we change the method to ensure that they understand. So, you know, if we're on one thing, I had a student and she really had difficulty with the CH and SH and everything I did was not working. And so we came up with a kind of like a game. She drew pictures. And when I would see her, we would do like a little dance that signified the different sounds. And so then she remembered it. So it's really having to look outside of the box a lot. Got you. Okay. So the difference between an approach and a program. So Orton Gillingham is really teaching you how to apply the principles. And then the program is very much about follow this curriculum and this program and this formula, and you should be okay. But you're not always okay, because sometimes you get to these hard bits and you don't always know what to do. Whereas with the OG principles, you would. Right. That and with Orton Gilliam, it is we move with the student. So I know some programs, it is too fast for students or sometimes it's too slow. And so just knowing when and how to move with your student or with your child is really an important aspect of that as well. Because since it is prescriptive in a manner, not every child is going to have the same approach. You worked in a dyslexia school. Yes. Were you like an Orton Gillingham reading teacher in the school? Yes. So I was a tutor. So I worked with students one-on-one. So Orton Gilliam really focused on one-on-one or small groups. It is not a big group. And your small groups really need to be in the same aspect. But I did one-on-one. 
I see. That's what I was really wondering uh, whether you ended up, if it was a dyslexia school, doing it from the front with a whole bunch of kids at once. Yeah, that's the school does offer lots of different learning styles like that in the class, but the school also takes this child out every day and works one on one with a tutor to ensure that they are given what they need. I'd love to hear your your story. You know, where did it all begin for you? You know, what was life like before you discovered about dyslexia? Okay, so I feel like my story is extremely long. So I never knew about dyslexia, but it's been ingrained in my life from the very beginning. So my father is illiterate. My siblings had trouble in school. I was in speech therapy and was in a reading class. When I inquired about that, I was told because I had a speech impediment because my dad had a speech impediment and I learned from him. And I've always had difficulty with math and numbers, directions, all types of things, timing, understanding things. Like I understand things differently. A lot of people have told me, I think backwards. And I just thought, you know, and I'm just not a numbers person when it came to the math part. I believe the statistic in the United States is that 20% of children struggle with math. So I was like, well, that's just my part. I don't know math very well and it's okay. And then I really started to understand as I grew older, I really think differently. And although I didn't have that much trouble in school when it came to writing and reading, I was able to get good grades. I just always thought I really think really different. <laughs> and that that was okay. You know, I I was who I was when I had my son. We he had to have speech therapy from a very early age and he did 2 years of speech therapy, but he was so great with doing puzzles and logic, super smart and when we had our daughter, she was like up moving, walking, running early, just a big busy body. And we just thought, okay, she's keeping up big brother. And then she always needed more time to understand things. And we just thought, well, she's just maturing slower. And over time, some red flags were starting to come up. We started homeschooling when she was in kindergarten and she just wasn't picking up as quick as I had expected. Ty didn't have trouble reading. I had taught him, you know, when he was like four or five years old, Ty didn't have as much trouble like reading or writing or anything like that. So I was comparing her and a lot of people was like, you know, different kids need different time to mature. She may just not be there. She needs, she might need more time. And when she was in preschool, we had realized she had a hard time writing her name, holding pencils and writing she didn't quite understand the letter placement, but she was also so young. So it didn't, it didn't like really send up any red flags. When we decided to homeschool, Ty was in second grade and Zoe was in kindergarten. And when Zoe was in first grade, I was talking to a librarian about being a little nervous because she wasn't reading and she didn't understand the letter differences. and. The librarian said you know, the corrections department looks at third grade reading skills to see how many prisons to make for the future because there's a literacy um, to prison pipeline. And that really 
got me scared, honestly. Wow. Wow. That I've never heard of it framed like that. That's powerful. So you look at third grade literacy yes. levels and then you start planning your prisons according to that level. Yes. And oh my so goodness. That was really scary to me. Is that true? And I mean, first of all, that is that true? I have looked it up. There is definitely the pipeline. So they have not, I guess, came out and straight said that, but they do look at literacy rates. And if you look at the prisons, I can't remember the exact statistics, and I think it changes every year, but it's between 70 and 90% of the prisoners are considered illiterate and they have like below eighth grade reading skills as adults. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. So that, that really scared me. <laughs> so I, uh, I, she still wasn't picking up. When we had moved to Oklahoma, we decided she, to put them in school. And she was in second grade at that point. And they put her in a remediation program. And after the year was done, they basically said, there's something wrong with your child. She is the only child that we've ever worked with that hasn't increased her ability in reading, writing, or math. And I didn't know what... I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to expect. Like I'm looking at my daughter and I'm like, she's so creative. She's so smart. She's a problem solver. She understands if you tell her in the way she, she needs it, you know, whether it's in visual or auditory or cooking with math, she understands all of that. So I didn't understand what it meant with there's something wrong with your child. <laughs> so we moved to Alaska and we're on this really small remote island kodiak and there we started homeschooling again we really wanted to work with zoe's self-worth and self-efficacy because during that year in public school she realized that she was different and she started to start having a lot of negative talk and we really wanted to change that and when we were in alaska we were with lots of different homeschoolers that really focused on more education outside of the box. So we did a creative writing class, but there was no writing. It was drawing and it was art and like they could dance. And, and one of the people had mentioned dyslexia. She's, and I didn't really know what that was at that point. I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And we had bought a curriculum that was phonics based, but I didn't really understand how to use it. And so when we spent a year in Alaska, when we came back to the lower 48s, we went to Alabama and that is the very first thing I did was go and get her tested. And so, and it was very difficult to even find somebody to test my child because there's not a whole lot of information out about who does that, where to get testing. And so we found an educational psychologist and we basically walked in and I told her, I don't know what's wrong with my daughter. This is what's going on. And that, then she was tested. And then we found out she was, uh, had high IQ, but she, um, is dyslexic and she has a slow processor. So <laughs> I cried because I didn't really know what that meant. And she's also twice exceptional. So I started to research and research and that's kind of when I started to understand what was going on. And my husband, who interestingly, he works with a lot of dyslexics, said, hey, there's a school 
for dyslexia, look into it. And then we found Orton Gilliam training. And my husband was like, please go to school, learn how to teach her. So in the middle of school, a lot of people kept asking me if I was dyslexic. And I was like, no, I'm not dyslexic. I really didn't know what that meant. So I was like, why would you think I'm dyslexic? <laughs> but these people who are like, you know, big in the company are like, I think you're dyslexic. <laughs> and then, so I started teaching at the school and tutoring and working with my daughter. And throughout that time, as I'm continuing to learn about dyslexia, I realized that is exactly what my dad, my siblings, a lot of people and, and my family is dyslexic. And then we because, found out my husband's family's dyslexic. Because you were telling me that a lot of your difficulties and differences you attributed to ADHD, didn't you? Yeah. So I actually, my first year of college, I was told that I was ADHD and I kind of was like, no, I'm not. I, I didn't honestly just wrote it off. I was like, no, I'm not. And my husband's like, oh, you are so, you so have ADHD. And I was like, no, no, like that's no, I don't. And because for my brother, he has like the typical ADHD, like bounces around, can't sit down. I mean, like you look at him and you're like, that's the star child of what looks like ADHD. And so I thought that's what ADHD was, mm. but it's different in girls. Or I should say it can be different in girls. So I didn't really take it serious, but a lot of the problems that I had in college, they were saying, well, this is the reason why you're having difficulties. This is the reason why you're having troubles. It was kind of said, well, that's why you have it. But no one ever tested me for dyslexia or anything like that. Well, that's interesting because we had a podcast guest who was identified with dyslexia in the UK, moved over to the USA and they had to assess her again because she was at university. And they said, actually, we think it's more ADHD. And what, what was clear is she had both. Mm -hmm. And what really came out was, I think America has more of a bias toward identifying people's difficulties and attributing them to ADHD. And the UK is more towards dyslexia, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people are getting the underlying identification wrong. What I am saying is you can have both ADHD and dyslexia at the same time. And that particular difficulty or trait can be misallocated to one or the other. Absolutely. And that's a problem, though, because if you think, oh, right, I am finding reading really difficult because of my ADHD. You think it's an attention problem and you start dealing with the attention. But if you think actually it's because of dyslexia and it's a, a processing uh, difference and you need to process that, that information differently rather than deal with attention problems, then you actually solve the problem. And I found that here in, in the UK, I, I was speaking to a consultant of a very highly rated consultant, medical consultant, and her daughter was having great difficulty and had been medicated with ADHD medicine all her life, but was still having huge difficulties. And I took her through our dyslexia quiz 
And I went through all of these, you know, 50 different traits. And she was like, yes, 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 yes. And we counted up and she would have got like 90 to 95% on our dyslexia screener. And I said, I think she's also got some dyslexia. You should maybe go check that out. And they did. And she did have dyslexia. And that was what made the difference for her. Of course, she's still got ADHD, still have attention surplus. But uh, yeah, so what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, so ADHD and dyslexia go hand in hand. So they are not, one doesn't cause the other, but they have found that ADHD and dyslexia, it's like 50%, you have 50% chance of having one or the other. And so my thoughts is just the, the it's the wiring in your brain and that's how it works. That's how it comes to be. But I do want to say that I understand that because my, with Ty, he, I've always been told how he's got dyslexia, uh, he's got um, ADHD, ADHD. And I was like, no, he's a boy. He just needs to move. And when he was in eighth grade, we really started to see he had troubles and I was getting a little frustrated with him. And in ninth grade, in the beginning, I was like, okay, this is it. Like I, you have to be able to get school done. This is high school. We have to really start working hard here. And we took him to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, I think he's got ADHD. And so I said, well, I want to go to a psychiatrist. And they said, oh yeah, he's got ADHD. And I said, well, before you do anything, I want to get him tested. And so we took him to go get tested from the same place that we had Zoe tested. And he came out to have a dyslexia with anxiety. And so the educational psychologist was telling us that dyslexia with anxiety looks a lot like ADHD. So the fidgeting, easily distracted, unable to sit still, very forgetful. And it looks like he's not paying attention, but it's because of his anxiety. And so now I was like, wow, how many kids are, you know, thought to have ADHD that really have anxiety and dyslexia that mimics that? You know, the Dyslexic Advantage book, have you read that? Yes, I have. Well, so Dr. Fernet Ede was on the podcast and she wrote that book. They both wrote that, her and Brock both wrote that book because they saw so many children being misdiagnosed with ADHD and not with dyslexia that they wrote that book. I suspect the medical model of ADHD and the educational model of dyslexia are skewing this a little bit because you get you know insurance payments and so on to go and do x y and z and treat x y and z with adhd but not with dyslexia right that's absolutely right so when we were going through zoe's testing it was going to be thousands of dollars and she said if basically basically when i made that phone call because i said i don't know what's wrong with her you know i don't know what's wrong with my daughter she straight said, if it's, if you're looking for dyslexia testing, insurance will not pay for it. And so we were like, well, we don't know what it is, <laughs> honestly. And so insurance did pay for it, thankfully. And then when it oh, came good. with Ty, we had him tested for ADHD. We didn't have him tested for dyslexia because they wouldn't have paid if we asked for dyslexia. And so I think that really needs to change. And I think that's one reason why it's so prevalent in, in the United States, because it can mimic that ADHD and dyslexia with anxiety. 
And it breaks my heart because I'm like, how many children are not getting what they need or thinking that they, you know, have ADHD and medication may or may not work. Really they're dyslexic and they have anxiety issues and that anxiety is not being helped. Yeah. Or both again, you know, but you're just focusing on the ADD and not the dyslexia. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. Fascinating. So let's uh, move on from there. So your wake up call was that library librarian. Um, yeah, I think that was my wake up call, one of my biggest ones. And then when she went to second grade, cause I thought, okay, well, I'm just not teaching her correctly. There's something wrong with my instructions. And so I guess the biggest one was when the school told me, Hey, there's something wrong with your daughter and we don't know what it is. And so well, in the United States, that's quite reaffirming, isn't it? You know, you yeah, know, yeah, you, exactly. It's you, it's you, you can blame yourself. I think we had another homeschooler. I can't remember who she was a while back uh, off off the top of my head, and she was saying just the same. You know, you can internalize this as a parent, teacher, homeschooler to say there's something wrong with me and the way I'm teaching, and in many ways. That's probably the better way of approaching it rather than the school saying there's something wrong with your kid. Because I fundamentally think, I think it was you that said to me, uh, dyslexia isn't a learning disability, it's a teaching disability. Was it you right. that said that to me a few weeks back? Um, I definitely have said that. I don't know if that was particularly me. And my other thing- I think that it was I you. Like to... And I love that. You know, it yeah. is a teaching disability. It is more of a teaching disability mm-hmm. than it is a learning disability. And I think that's how I would nuance it. You know, dyslexia is more of a teaching disability than a learning disability. And yes, there might be certain elements where that's a, a hard line and I can't learn past that or I can't do that or can't figure that but that's probably five to ten percent of what you find difficult there's 95 percent of it that can be solved with a different skill set a different teaching approach yeah absolutely and my other thing I like to say is education is not from a textbook really we have to get out of the textbook to truly learn and to truly not only educate ourselves but educate other people yes so What was the main problem in all of this? So over the last four years, uh, so has it just been five years since you've known about all this? Yes. It's a short period of time, isn't it? It really is a short period of time. And isn't it interesting that, you know, when you think five years, and I know from a parent's point of view, it feels like a lot longer than five years because you fill that up with so much research investigation and so on because you have to move fast to keep Mm -hmm. up because tick 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 their education is slipping by and they're being left behind so five years is a long time and also a short time so what have you found has been the biggest challenge over the last five years i guess the biggest challenge over the last five years um to ensure that she has high self-worth and self-efficacy, self-confidence, and not letting things affect her as much emotionally. So we, of course, have changed our approach to teaching. 
Well, I guess I would say we haven't really changed approach, but we have changed different aspects of it. Because from the very beginning, we knew that she needed more hands-on and just a different way of teaching. So I've had I've had to learn how to teach differently or how to be very creative in my teaching. And so there's been so many instances where she has notices she's different or she's been, you know, called upon for not being able to read or been made fun of or whatever it is and having to come together and say, okay, this is, it's okay. You know, they were wrong, but this is who you really are. And having her to accept it as much as, you know, she can, she's a teenager. So right now things are hard and to appreciate who she is. And so we like to really always do positive reaffirmations and not do negative talk, always look up and say, you know, what did you learn from this? What could things be different and kind of celebrate all of those things and not let that be a negative part. So you're a homeschooler. If you don't mind me asking what, what made you choose homeschooling? Um, I guess I didn't choose it would be the best. I'd never intended to homeschool. Okay. That was never my idea. Actually, we when we lived in Texas, my son went to a great school. My Zoe was in a great preschool. I worked at the hospital and everything was great. When we moved to Louisiana, my son started to say things like I'm too sick to go to school, which was weird because his, this kid was like, "Oh, I want to go to school on Saturday and Sunday and I don't want to take a holiday break." And that started to, why, why? And then when we moved to Indiana, he was in school and the teacher had nothing but positive things to say about him. He's an out-of-box thinker. And when we were doing our exit interview with the teacher to move to Tennessee, she said, you really need to think about another way of teaching Ty. We are going to ruin him. He is an out-of-box thinker. He has big ideas and he has all of these great skills, but they're going to be taken away if you keep him in this box. My goodness me. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, wow. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that was a teacher telling that, you that? Yeah. She was an old, old teacher. She'd been working for, you know, so many years di at different types of schools. And I'm very thankful for her for that because she helped me understand how he thinks. That's fantastic. I mean, to... For a teacher to have the self-confidence mm -hmm. to say to a parent, we're going to ruin him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I was like, I don't even know where to go with that. Wow. Yes. And so that kind of woke you. That was your wake up call for Ty then. Right. Yeah. And at that point, I didn't think that he, I mean, now looking back, I go, oh, that would have been a sign of like dyslexia. <laughs> but yes. I didn't yes. know that. So in, so no. to, to let you know, to let your viewers know, in the United States, dyslexia in the school is like a big no-no word. You don't want yes. to use it. You don't want to diagnose it. You don't want to because of the resources that students need for dyslexia. So when you I don't say, know if she was could you, could you just clarify that a little bit? It's a big no-no word for the school or for the right. parents? For the school. So you're not going to have- For the school. Right. So if you're in an IEP meeting or if you're talking to a teacher, teachers are not going to say, hey, they have traits of dyslexia or you need to get them tested for dyslexia. Now, as a parent, you can bring that up, but there may be 
I don't want to say there'll be pushback. I really, of course, depends on your teachers and your principal and your administrators and your IEP team. But that is one of the issues that we have in our schools now is the fact that they have a wall up. Yeah, this is interesting. Let's do the dyslexia ADHD comparison here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would you say then that the school is more willing to accept an ADHD identification than a dyslexia one? hundred percent. Why? I think because it goes back to the medical. It's easy to see a kid fidgeting or talking out of place or walking around and not learning well, having difficulties. And it's easy to say, go get test, go, you know, go to the doctor and get something for it. It's quick. It's easy. It's yeah. You it's, can medicate it. You can't medicate right. dyslexia. Right. Exactly. And so if you're in a medication, it, supposed to act quickly, the problem is solved, and you're not using a whole lot of the school funding. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, I've got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Gosh, that's terrifying, isn't it? Oh, it is. That, that and happens. I honestly, dyslexia is not really talked about in schools either, uh, as if you're in a teacher. So yeah, you do you get... find that, do you find that, sorry to cut you off there, but you know, teachers, to just clarify that talking as a teacher about dyslexia whenever i speak to my american counterparts i'm here in scotland in the uk i i've got a good friend called dr erica warren who's an educational psychologist and but she's a psychologist in new york and she says you know darius dyslexia as a word is being phased out as much as possible and they're trying to replace it with SPLD or special learning differences and so on. And I find it very, very hard because when you start, you call it a specific learning difference, but you're not specific about it. Then you start becoming a general learning difference and you have general, general approaches that they generally don't work. They're just generally just buy you time, the school time and say, oh, we tried for the last three, four years. We're now moving them on to middle school and the middle school tries for three, four years generally to try and help and it doesn't help. And then they're in high school and they're facing exams two years later, they crash through their English exams or whatever. And then you go, well, you know, the kid didn't try enough. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely. So when Zoe was diagnosed, she was diagnosed with specific learning disorder. And I didn't know what that meant. Yes. I, I think that was probably the reason why I cried. And I was so upset because I didn't know what that meant. Yes. And I had to go home and research and research and research, look at her paperwork and try to figure out what does this specific learning disorder mean? So I now know, okay, I now understand it's a slow processor, which is easy to understand. But when you have all of this paperwork and you're trying to figure out what is specific learning disorder, what does that mean? Yeah. Then I realized it was dyslexia. And now when I look up dyslexia, it's a lot easier to understand what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you won't hear dyslexia very often, especially people who are going to educational psychologists in the education system. If you have specific learning disorder, it many different things and you're kind of the IEP team does their best to group you, but I have a lot of students that I tutored who go to public schools and their parents' biggest complaints and upsets are they're not getting what they need. They're being put on a program that's not working. Yes. They're, being, they're fighting for something. And so in the United States, 
your IEP team makes up, you know, different educators and the parents and administrators and they come together and they say, okay, this is what you're going to do. But the parent can say, Hey, this isn't working, but it's not the parent's meeting. It's the school's meeting. The Uh. school is considered the experts. So in that aspect, the parents can say, Hey, I want this change, but that doesn't mean that's actually going to happen. Yeah. So the schools are going to pretty much stick with what they have because that's in their budget. Yeah. This is the best we can do with what difficulties you have and let's hope it works. Um, right. Just for, for the listener, could you just explain what an IEP is? Very oh, sure. Basically? Yeah. So it's individualized educational plan. So basically, if a student is having trouble in a typical classroom and the teachers or the parents can request an IEP and they can take the information, uh, all of the evaluations and decide if that student is deserving of an IEP based on their needs, because typical students wouldn't need an IEP, basically. Got you. And And then they have to follow that individualized educational plan. Right. And so the team decides what they're going to do. And so within that IEP plan, so the laws in the United States basically say you have to give free, appropriate public education to students. And I want to hit that appropriate doesn't mean that it's the best you know, your child's going to be get the best of care you think they deserve. Appropriate is they're going to give what they, as in the administrators, think is appropriate. And uh, they do have like certain things that they have to follow to ensure that that is considered appropriate. But that does not mean by any means they're getting the best. So that's why you see so many parents paying a lot of money for Orton Gilliam tutors because they can't get that in the schools. Yes. And I think we had a guest on who wrote the book about being caught up in the red tape. We'll put the link in the description down below and just getting caught up in red tape and mummified in red tape, Mm -hmm. she said, until she's had to step out of that and go and get it personally uh, because she was spending more hours fighting for it than it would cost to go and earn the money to go and pay for it that she ended up just saying, right, I'll just go pay for it. So We've covered the biggest challenge is maintaining self-esteem and mm-hmm. your self-image and self-worth. What have been your greatest rewards, would you say? You know, like so so we heard that you made that decision to go and homeschool, not because of dyslexia per se, not because of any particular, but just for the maintain that quality of education for your children, and then you discover dyslexia. So what have you got as a reward, as it were, from going through this whole journey of discovering dyslexia? I guess my reward is, as a mom, patience and empathy. So watching her struggle so much and, you know, having to help her pick herself up back up sometimes and being able to look at other children and help them. So I figured out different techniques on how to help other kids understand that I'm also dyslexic. So I actually teach really well because I am dyslexic. I think because I don't teach the typical way because I don't understand the typical way. So I have always looked at things completely different. And I think I have different things I've 
helped myself without knowing it and now being able to use those for her or for other students i think that's the reward for for me yeah i think some of the best teachers are the dyslexic ones i i suspect that um well there's a lot of teachers in school are dyslexic mm-hmm. i'm not sure if 10% if you said 10% of the population were dyslexic let's say I'm not sure if 10% of teachers are dyslexic because I think a lot of teachers get forced out of mm-hmm. the teaching system because it's so academic, so systematic, so mm-hmm. rigid. But I think there are still some, you know, dyslexic quite a few dyslexic teachers. I've come across them myself. And what what they tend to do is tend to be in subjects like woodwork or modern studies or you know subjects which really make you think in multiple different levels and problem solve and so forth and one of the traits i've seen of those is that often they're really good in front of the students but then when you go behind the scenes they're their interactions with fellow teachers and so on. They're like, why didn't you send me that memo? Why haven't you organized this group? Why haven't you written up this policy or whatever? And they're like being drowned by the paperwork, whereas actually their actual delivery with the children is just exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. My husband from day one has always said, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. And I only thought of a teacher as a public school teacher sitting in front of a class of 30 kids. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I do not want to be a public school teacher. That is not who I am. And through the course of years, I realized I do love teaching. And there is this whole other world of teaching that you can offer. And sadly, a lot of teachers are pushed out. And I think because of the red tape, because they're not allowed to do what they can do best. And so they know how to teach, but they don't necessarily teach in a systematic form or do this, do that. And so now I think that's why we see so many teachers that are doing other things, making curriculums or having homeschooling other kids or all these other forms of teaching. And when I realized that I was like, oh, this is me because I really do enjoy being in front of the kids, put me in a room with adults and I clam up. I can't, I can't do adults, but yeah, I'm great with kids. You were telling me that you've worked with curriculum for uh, some online training companies over abroad. What Can you remind me of what you did there? Yeah, so I write lessons and curriculum for an international school in China. Ah, and right. she yes. absolutely loves, the owner absolutely loves what I do. She says it's so creative and it's beautifully done. It's engaging. And what I have found, the whole reason I accidentally got kind of caught into it is I was teaching a student and the the class, the lesson plan that she had was so confusing to me. I didn't understand it. And so I said, hey, I'm making up my own thing because I don't understand this. I can't teach it if I don't understand it. And so then I started to write it and she said, oh, will you start writing more? And she has just been able to gave me a lot more things to write. So I've done science, writing, reading. And interestingly, I decided, wow, I'm really good at this. And I started to do it for teacher pay teachers. And 
So I'm starting to do a whole lesson. I have many, many lessons and curriculums that I'm writing and I'm going to be putting them on my website and on teacher pay teachers because I am such an out-of-box thinker. And I yeah. think we all, like one of the issues I always have with curriculums that we have bought to homeschool is that it doesn't allow for flexibility. It doesn't allow for that out-of-box thinker. The answer okay. is this, and it's wrong if it's not. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. And especially with Ty, he is you know, he is all over the place. He connects things that I'm like, whoa, I never thought about it that way. And so we shouldn't be discouraging those thinkers. We should be encouraging those. So that's one of the biggest reasons I stopped buying curriculum. And I just started to make my own because I found that every time I bought it, I had to rewrite it anyway. <laughs> yes. So we'll put the links yes. in the description below you've got teachers pay teacher courses and you've also got a youtube channel with youtube videos that explain it with your daughter they're really i've watched some of the videos they're great and um you're going to start a podcast soon as well aren't you yes yeah, so everything is just starting to start i'm not good with computers or technology or anything so this has been like learning greek to me and i've actually been working on this for over a year at my website and my teacher pay teachers so it's just now, I think, getting the ball going right now. And I am in the process of starting my own podcast to continue encouraging others uh, with dyslexia. And hopefully they can use uh, the products or the information as well. So your website's called Not Bound and your YouTube channel's called Not Bound. So what's the story behind Not Bound? Why did you choose that name? So when I started my tutoring company, I was trying to figure out a name for it. And one of my friends said, Hey, what about not bound? Because you don't teach by the book. You kind of teach like the pages are coming out of the book. And I was like, okay. that is so perfect because I also live in a not bound world. So not bound comes to the idea that we don't live in a by society's expectations. We're not bound by those chains or the bind of the book. Got you. Excellent. Thank you. And you're just about to do the podcast called Hippie Dyslexic Homestead. So look out for when that comes out, the Hippie Dyslexic Homestead. And when it does come out, we'll put the link in the description below. And uh, I hope you listen to our podcast as well as Ash's, but feel free if Ash's is better than ours, go there. It's important that uh, you listen to whatever is, is, is the best for you. So I'm all the best, Ash, with the podcast. Well, I also want to thank you for your podcast because I actually found you several years ago and I think you must have already had a good year or two years in because I listened to every episode back to back to back to back. And that yeah, really wow. helped me go, wow, wait a minute. This is me. This is me. This is me. This is me. And that's when I kind of started to think maybe I was dyslexic and I started to believe all those people who kept saying I was dyslexic. Because I started to say, oh, wait a minute, this is what I do. And then I, I haven't been officially tested by a neural educational psychologist, but I have taken many, many online tests and it all come back that I'm dyslexic, which makes complete sense knowing now what I know. And then of course we signed up for Bullet Map Academy. So yeah, I love your podcast. It's really great. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, by the way, tell us a little bit about Bullet Map Academy. You've, you've 
bought multiple programs, as you mentioned, you know, is is Bullet Map Academy just another one of those many multiple programs that you do? Or is, is there something different about it? Um, so I thought it was just going to be one of those other programs. And I think that's why I waited for a year. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, I have to try this. Like, I'm just desperate at this point because my both of my kids do, do not like to write. So Zoe is particularly doesn't write. She doesn't want to write. She has no... She, doesn't want to do anything when it comes to writing. Ty actually is very creative and he likes to write. However, it's not always logical and he doesn't like to write for school. It's more of, he just wants to make stories. And so when we decided to try, try it, we met up and Zoe was going to be the one that we focused on. And I think, I mean, I was in tears when she finished her first essay and she went from a student, you know, person who didn't want to write anything to now she's writing a book and it's mind-blowing <laughs> it, it is it is a bit strange isn't it to to think from a t parent's point of view or a teacher's point of view to think that someone who's 13 years old has never finished a story writing a story and many of our students have never written a story never finished writing a story you know they've maybe started there's a paragraph or two or maybe two three pages of rambling text but to actually have a story where there's a structured story that's beginning middle and end and it's finished and it's satisfying to finish something like that is so satisfying with dyslexia isn't it i mean it is and i love it i mean now she's writing letters to grandparents she now has a journal she wow. is like a writing like she's always writing now and wow. before i mean she would cry just to break down let's take notes while i read this story or you know why don't you write a paragraph to say what you've learned and she just would it would break out in tears and at that point i would say okay we're going to take a break we're not going to we'll kind of come back to that and now i think because she's told it's okay and even though i told her it's okay you don't spell correctly it's okay if your grammar's not very good we just want things on paper but for whatever you do to connect that has helped tremendously and then ty went to college or is in college taking college classes and his first paper was like 1500 words and he was able to get like a, not even a paragraph down and he's like i can't do it i you know i can't do this class and all i did was ask him i said are you using your bullet map academy tech strategies and his eyes lit up and he's like oh man i could do that and within a couple of days he had 1500 words and he got a good grade on that paper and Fantastic. i honestly don't think he would have been able to do that without the strategies he's learned and so it is tremendous. It is not like any other program we've used at all. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Because I think, you know, when an out-of-the-box thinker creates a program for out-of-the-box thinkers, we, you know, the, one of the main reasons why I've now insisted on coaches coaching you through the training videos is that sometimes the training videos can make the child think that's the only way to do it. I can't right. do it any other way. But then the coaches are there like, no, how would you do it? How could you do it? What's your way of working? And they ad uh, adapt it and apply it. And they're like, oh, I can still do it this way. Oh, I can do it that way. Yes, you can, because it doesn't matter how neat it is. It doesn't need to look like that or Darius's or anything like that. And so, yeah, it's just 
it's it, it's wonderful when the children break through and start owning it yeah absolutely i mean i've sat into some with zoe and you know like i think you've even said it you may not be able to make sense of it but zoe has that she understands exactly what's going on on that map and she's also able to draw and use bright colors because she's very artistic and so she's able to use that and she sees her coach ariel and ariel just gently guides her and the other thing is that they move at the student's pace yeah so if for instance like ty and zoe move at two different pace so they're yeah. able to stay with zoe longer because she needs more help and uh, has more questions and she needs more time to think and more time to consider with ty he's like 10 steps ahead and to the right and you know he's all over the place so they can move quickly with him yes absolutely so homeschooling orton gillingham homeschooling let's kind of wrap this up coming back to our original focus which was you're here as an orton gillingham you know well-trained orton gillingham you had to have a bachelor's degree to go to go and do that course and it's very intensive it's expensive and you know they're really thorough you know they really guard the reputation of delivering you know high quality trainers so you've got the whole homeschooling side of things you've got orton gillingham side of things could you talk a little bit about the interplay between homeschool dyslexia tutoring and so on you know you've talked a little bit about that but could you expand on it more for those people who are maybe homeschoolers themselves what's it been like being a homeschooler and navigating all that you have to do is homeschooling and also special education techniques on top i when it comes to homeschooling you really have the opportunity to give your child what they need and how to give it to them you have the opportunity to basically customize their learning path based on who they are. The problem I have seen with a lot of homeschoolers and even me is that in the homeschool world, there's ideas that, oh, this one program or this one thing is going to be best for this student. And I disagree. You really need to be attentive of what is working and what is not working. And don't be afraid to say, this isn't working. We're not going to use it because I will tell you, we have bought many, many programs that did not work. Yeah. And no matter how many claims or how many people say how great it is. And within the dyslexia world, there's uh, homeschooling. There's often, well, you have to get this program or this program or this program. This is the only one that works. And so I really think that as a parent, you need to be attentive to what is working, what is not working. If there's tears, if there's fights, then that's not working and you need to change what you're doing. Yes. And to look outside of the box, to ask community, because you don't have necessarily teachers, but you do, you know, that you're working with in a school, but you do have homeschoolers with a lot of knowledge and just educate yourself on your your child you know yes. what what are those things that they do really well and what we do is we capitalize on their strengths and we support their weaknesses i've met so because at bullet map academy we are kind of at the end of a child's educational 
career, although we teach eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, but many parents wake up to the whole, oh, it's time to learn how to write an essay because if they don't, they're going to fail English and not get access to further education and other opportunities. They can leave it to the last minute. It still works, but it's, it's a bit of a rush and a stress. But many of them are like, oh, gosh, you know, I've purchased lots of different kinds of courses. I've been burnt on this. I've been burnt on that or whatever. And they feel that, that they're rightly, understandably nervous about spending money again on something else that they don't quite know about yet, like Bullet Map Academy. But my question is, is there a way to avoid, you know, spending money on stuff that you don't use? I mean, and I'm saying that because even me as a 51 year old, I look back over my career, I have bought so much tech, I have bought so much software, I bought so much different techniques and planners and filofaxes and just name it, you know, just desperately trying to find the next way to organize my thoughts or order things and get things done and so on. And, and I'm not criticizing it at all, but it is quite a journey with dyslexia to find techniques and so on, because there isn't a one one formula. Have you got any insights from the homeschool point of view of how to navigate this journey of spending on stuff and programs and is it possible to get through it all without wasting any money? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if there's a possibility of not wasting any money, but I would say if you can find samples or if you can borrow things to try it out would be really great, but also kind of understand what is working for your child. So for instance, like if you know your child does not understand math by just writing five plus three then don't buy those types of curriculums. No, because usually you can look up to see what type of curriculum is. Is it, you know, just writing a piece of paper, black and white? Is it more kinesthetic? You know, is it this or is it that? And kind of trying to figure out, okay, this is really works really well. So with my kids, we have, we use learn um, living books. And so living books are like, understanding history or understanding science or whatever it is through a story versus a text. So we don't buy textbooks. We buy living books. So I know don't look for textbook types of things. And when you realize this approach works really well, then try to find the curriculum in that area. And, you know, if, if like I said, if you can try to find someone who uses it, and try a couple of lessons because we bought a curriculum for the kids for this year for their math, a new one. And with Thai, it wasn't going very well. And it was very expensive, but we did go to a homeschool convention and we talked to them and they, you know, how great it was and how wonderful it is, but it didn't work. So that's okay. He's doing something else now. Do you get refunds for things like that? Uh, usually they have like a 30 day, they might take it back. So it really depends on the company. Also buy used, you know, even if it's, I have bought used where the papers, you know, the kid had wrote on half of the papers, but that was okay because I could still make that in my own way and give it to okay. them in a different way. So don't be afraid to buy something that's used that is not perfect because you could still see it. And then once you're like, oh, wow, this works really well, then maybe go out and 
buy it new for the following, but now you know that this particular way is working well. Well, let's do a final quick plug for your hippie dyslexic homestead podcast then, because I think you're going to talk a bit about stuff like this in different ways. What sort of things are you going to talk about in your hippie dyslexic homestead podcast? I love the title. Thank you. I was really trying to figure out something that resonated what I'm going to be discussing. And the title hits perfectly. Hippiness, which basically is a holistic way of living. Dyslexia, living as a dyslexic and a family dyslexic. And homestead, home-centric ideas such as homesteading, gardening, pretty much everything, foraging, wildcrafting, making your own things. Uh, Just kind of variety education, definitely we'll be talking about homeschool and education. So really a kind of a holistic, home-centric approach to life. Fantastic, Ash. I'm looking forward to hearing some of those episodes. Ash, it has been great having you on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to finally say to the listeners? No, I just thank you or- so much, uh, Darius, for all that you have done for our family Thank you so much for putting up bullet map because it really has helped tremendously. And it's the only thing I think I've bought more than one time. So this is, they're going into their second year. And so (laughs) I just want to thank you so much for that and for your podcast, because it really has helped a lot of people. My pleasure, Ash. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for being here. Good to see you. See you later. Bye. So guys, if you enjoyed that podcast, make sure you look in the show notes below for all the links that Ash has been talking about. Uh, Just slide your finger up on whatever podcast you've got there and it should be there in the description and the hyperlinks. And, you know, remember that if you've got a child who is finding it hard to write a structured essay, then Bullet Map Academy is a place to look because we use the child's visual strengths to organize their thoughts visually and teach them how to write a structured essay like short stories etc and write them under time pressure under exam situations so that the children are ready to do it in an exam situation and get those grades unfortunately sometimes we do need those grades to get into being a paramedic or a doctor or a nurse or whatever you want to be doing next. Sometimes that training requires you to get your English grades uh, at a certain level. And we, we help with that, not by teaching you English, but by teaching you how to structure your essay visually with a bullet map. So get in touch with us at bulletmapacademy.com. See you in the next episode. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where Dyslexia Productivity Coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.